0: Good afternoon, everyone. In traditional Christianity, it's long been taught that when people die, they don't really die. But that the body dies, but the person still continues to live a conscious existence as a soul. And depending on the person, the soul either goes to heaven or to hell at the time of death. In this conception, even though the soul is detached from the body, those who go to hell are tormented forever in a cauldron of fire. In this hell, in the traditional belief, people are shrieking in agony and pain, burning for eternity, but never being burned up. Is that really what the Bible says? teaches about death and punishment. We read in Acts 4 and verse 12, speaking of Jesus Christ, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved the bible teaches that it's only through jesus christ that we can have salvation yet millions many millions if not billions of human beings down through history have lived and died never even having heard the name of jesus christ having known nothing of the true god Certainly the vast majority of humans have lived and died without becoming Christians in any sense. Even today, most people in the world are not Christians or make no pretense or profession of Christ or being Christians. We read in Psalm 7 and verse 11, though, that God is a just judge. And we read in Psalm 136 and verse 1 that God is good For as it says, his mercy endures forever. So, we have the fact that it must be through Christ that people have salvation. Most people have not known of Christ or never professed Christ. And yet God is said to be just and merciful. Would a just and merciful God create billions of human beings, deny them a real opportunity for salvation, and then torture them for all eternity in an ever-burning hell simply because they did not believe in Jesus Christ, even though many had never even heard of Jesus Christ? Is that something you would describe as just and merciful judgment? truth is the Bible teaches nothing like the traditional concept of punishment, eternal punishment in hell for all who fail to profess Christ. Rather, that is what false ministers have taught, misrepresenting the Bible's true teachings about the fate of the wicked. Today, I want to discuss the truth about what the Bible teaches about hell. The idea of People being tortured in an ever-burning hell is actually rooted in another false doctrine taught among those who profess traditional Christianity, and that is the doctrine of the immortal soul. The term immortal soul appears nowhere in the Bible. The Bible does not teach that the soul of a person is is an entity which is inherently immortal. Indeed, just the opposite. The Bible teaches that the soul can die, that it can be destroyed. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. The soul who sins shall die, says God's Word. In verse 20 of the same chapter, Ezekiel 18, it says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So we see that in these two verses it plainly says the soul... Of the wicked shall die. It doesn't say it shall live forever. In hell or any other place. In Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And verse 28. Notice what Jesus said. Matthew 10 and verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body. But cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So this says that both the souls and the bodies of those who are cast into hell will be destroyed. Both their souls and their bodies will be destroyed. Exactly what is a soul? It's a vague concept for most people probably who ever think about it but what what does the bible teach is a soul what we call a soul the hebrew word sometimes translated soul is nephesh and it comes from a root nafash which means to breathe hence the primary meaning of a nephesh is a breathing, living creature. You can look that up in various Hebrew lexicons, such as Brown Driver and Briggs, or even Strong's Exhaustive Concordance and the lexicon in that source. In the Bible, the term soul, or "nephesh" in the Hebrew is used of all manner of sea and land-dwelling creatures. It's used of birds that fly. Used of all sorts of creatures made of flesh. Notice in Genesis chapter 1, where we read about God restoring the earth, restoring life on the earth. And in Genesis 1, and verse 21, it says, God created great sea creatures, and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And here in the Hebrew, every living thing, as it says in King James, or every living beast, I believe it says in the King James, the word thing is from the Hebrew word "nephesh," and applies to these various creatures that were created. In verse 24, God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature. The word creature here in the New King James is translated from the word "nephesh," which, as we mentioned earlier, is often translated or at least sometimes translated so. It is the Hebrew word that is translated so. Here it is translated creature. Let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. So we see this term is used of various kinds of animals that were created, such as cattle and other beasts. In chapter 2 and verse 19, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. The word translated creature here again from the Hebrew is nephesh or so. In chapter 9 and verse 15, chapter 9 and verse 15 of Genesis. I will remember my covenant, which is between... Me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The word here translated creature again is nephesh, the Hebrew word that is also translated soul on occasion in the Bible into English. So it applies to creatures here made of flesh. So you could say a soul is a creature made of flesh. At least that's one way in which this term is used. When God breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils, notice what the Bible says occurred in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. In Genesis 2 and verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Man became a living being. And I believe in the King James Version, it says man became a living soul. Because the word translated being here is nefesh, the Hebrew word for soul. But notice it says that man became a living soul or a living being upon having the breath of life breathed into his nostrils by god it does not say man has a living has a soul or an immortal soul but it says man became a living soul and human beings become living souls at the time their lives begin they are living souls living creatures and the word nefesh is not only used of a living creature, but it is used of one's life or any life sustained by blood, including human physical life. Over in Genesis nine, verse four, Genesis nine, verse four, it says, "You shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood." The word life here is from the Hebrew word nephesh. And going on in verse five, it says, Surely your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast, I will require it, from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Again, here the word life is nephesh, of course. So in Exodus chapter four and verse nineteen. Exodus four and verse nineteen. Now the Lord God said to Moses in Midian, go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Speaking of those who wanted to kill Moses, and the word life here again is Nephesh. Same word translated so. So we see that the word napesh, the Hebrew word for soul, can be translated in various ways as a living creature or a creature or a person's life or even the life of, uh, of an animal. It is also used of persons. In Genesis chapter 14, in Genesis 14 and verse... Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. The persons word persons here is the Hebrew word nefesh, which again could be translated soul or souls in this case. And it applies to people, individuals, persons. In chapter 46 and verse 26 chapter 46 of Genesis and verse 26 it says all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt who came from his body besides Jacob's sons wives were 66 persons in all the word persons is the same word as so Nephesh and in Exodus 1 and verse 5 Exodus 1 and verse 5. All those who were descended of Jacob were 70 persons. And again, the word persons here is from the Hebrew word nephesh or soul. The term nephesh, the Hebrew word for soul, is also used in the sense of a dead body. In Leviticus 21 and verse 11. Leviticus 21 and verse 11. It says, nor shall he go, speaking of the high priest here in this case, near any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or his mother. The word body here is translated from the Hebrew word nefesh. So, the word can be used even of a body that is dead or a corpse. It is used in that way. In Numbers chapter 6 and verse 6, Number six, verse six. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, speaking of one who's taken a Nazarite vow, he shall not go near a dead body. The word body here is from the Hebrew word nephesh. So we see different ways in which this word nephesh or soul is used in the Bible. And... There's nothing in any of these examples or any other example in the Bible that indicates that the soul is immortal or that it is anything like what is normally conceived of as a soul of a person. And often people think of a soul as something that actually predates the the birth of a person. And all of those ideas really come from various heathen concepts and philosophies, but they are not in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible to indicate that the soul predates one's birth or that the soul continues to live after one dies. The Greek word, sometimes translated soul in the New Testament, is psuche, and that word psuche has meanings similar to the Hebrew word nephesh. But as we've seen, souls can die. As Jesus said, the soul and body will be destroyed in hell or can be destroyed in hell if one persists in wickedness. And those souls can be, as Jesus said, destroyed. What that tells us is that the souls of men are not immortal, but rather they are mortal. And God told Adam, who had become a living soul, when The breath of life was breathed into his nostrils. God told Adam, the one who had become a living soul, that he would return to the ground. Genesis 3 and verse 19, that he would return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return, God told Adam. And God had warned Adam that if he sinned, took of the tree which was forbidden that he would die. And carrying out that penalty, God told him that, that he would return to the dust from which he was made. The Bible tells us that of all humans who have ever lived, at this particular time, there's only one who has immortality, and that is Jesus Christ. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 14. 1 Timothy 6, verse 14, Paul wrote, That you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, "...who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power." Now, there are several things here that we need to notice. First of all, it tells us that only Jesus Christ of all human beings has immortality. And also it says that no man has seen him in his glorified state in heaven. It says, whom no man has seen or can see, dwelling in unapproachable light. What this tells us, if we are honest with the Bible, is that no one else has immortality, that other people who have died are not immortal, that they are in fact mortal and that they are dead. And we will discuss more about what that means as we go along. The wages of sin, according to the Bible, is not eternal life in hell. What is the penalty for sin, according to the scripture, is death, which is by definition the cessation of life. On the other hand, eternal life is a gift which comes to us from God through Jesus Christ. It's not something we're born with. It's not something we have inherently. It is a gift that is given to us by God. Notice in Romans 6 and verse 23. Romans 6 and verse 23, it says, The wages of sin is death, not life in hell or anywhere else, but death. And it says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So eternal life is a gift. It's not something that we have innately or inherently. Then what is hell? There are a few concepts, well, perhaps I shouldn't say that there are a number of concepts over which people are confused concerning what the Bible actually teaches, but this is one that there is a great deal of confusion and misunderstanding about the concept of hell and what the Bible actually teaches about hell. And so let's go through what the Bible tells us about hell and see what it really says about this subject. In the Bible, there are several terms that are sometimes translated hell in the Old Testament. One of the terms translated hell from the, the Hebrew of the Old Testament is sheol, And the word sheol simply means a pit or a grave. And in fact, it's often translated into those words. For example, in Genesis 37 and verse 35. Genesis 37 and verse 35. And his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said for I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Now this was when Jacob thought that his son Joseph had died but the word translated grave here is the Hebrew word sheol which is as I said is sometimes translated hell. Here it's translated grave and that's what it means generally is a grave or a pit. And In Numbers chapter 16, verse 30. Numbers 16, verse 30. Here is the subject of the rebellion of Korah and God was going to punish the rebels by opening a chasm up in the earth and having them being swallowed up in that pit. And notice verse 30 here, it says, if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit. Then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. The word pit here is from the Hebrew word shiel, which, again, is one of the words commonly translated hell elsewhere in the Scriptures. But it simply means a pit or a grave. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is often called the Septuagint, the extant version of the ancient Greek translation from the Hebrew, Sheol is commonly translated using the Greek word Hades, which is commonly transliterated as Hades. And the usual translation into Greek From the Hebrew, sheol, is this word hades or hades. And this is true not only of the Septuagint, but other Jewish works written in Greek that quote scripture. Both words, the word sheol as well as hades, both words are said to have the same original meaning, which essentially is unseen, unseen. Both the Greek and the Hebrew words that we've been discussing have that essential meaning, something that is unseen. Now, the word hell in Old English is from a cognate word, hellan, meaning to cover or conceal. Originally, something in hell was simply something that was covered over or concealed or buried or hidden from view, essentially the same meaning as the Hebrew word sheol, and the Greek word hades. And so in the New Testament, the Greek word hades, sometimes translated hell in the King James Version, means simply the same as the Hebrew word sheol. It means something buried. It means the grave, a hole in the ground in which something has been placed is the common usage of that term. And that's what really all of these words effectively mean is a pit in the ground, a hole, or a grave where someone has been placed in a pit or a hole in the ground, covered up. Note that the soul, that is the dead body of Christ, according to scripture, was not left in Hades But he was resurrected, having been dead and buried for three days. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 27, we read about that. Acts chapter 2 and verse 27. This is quoting a psalm written by David, but it applies, as is pointed out in the context here, to Jesus Christ. In verse 27, you will not leave my soul in Hades, or Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. So we see that the soul, and this applies to Jesus Christ, was in Hades, but it was not left there. It was there, but it was not left there. And in verse 31, it goes on to say, he that is... uh, the prophet David foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. What this tells us is that the soul of Jesus Christ was in Hades but it was not left there. Now what does that mean that his soul was in Hades? Well again we've already seen that the term soul can mean simply a dead body and that the word Hades essentially means a grave or a pit. Is that what this is speaking of? Actually, that is exactly what it's talking about. And ex- explained further in another chapter of Acts. Notice over in Acts chapter 13. In Acts 13 and verse 28, it says... Though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Now notice that in the earlier verse that we read in Acts chapter 2, that his body had been placed in Hades. And this says that he was placed in a tomb. So being placed in Hades is the same as being placed in a tomb. That's what they did with Jesus' body. They put it in a tomb. But it says God raised him from the dead. Now it says he was dead. It doesn't say he was alive somewhere, but it says he was dead, and his dead body was placed in a tomb, or in Hades, in the grave. In verse 34, it goes on to say, and it also goes on to say here in verse 30 that God raised him from the dead, which occurred three days later. But in verse 34, it says that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption. This just has to do with the decay of the body. Our bodies are not immortal, they are subject to decay or corruption. And he has spoken, Thus I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. In other words, his body would not decay as bodies do when they're, when a person dies. After a period of time, they begin to decay. Now it takes a while for that decay process to really set in and the body to really begin to fully be decayed in any appreciable way. Jesus was only in the grave for three days and three nights. So his body did not really have time to decay appreciably, especially as it had been wrapped in cloth with spices which tended to retard the decay process. Going on, it says, For David, after he had served in his own generation, by the will of God fell asleep, or he died was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. In other words, his body decayed. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. In other words, his body was not allowed to remain dead long enough to decay. So had Jesus been left in Hades, though, he would have seen corruption. His body would have decayed just like that of David and so that's why his soul as it says was not left in Hades but he was resurrected prior to his body being decayed being in hell or Hades is the same as being in the grave in a tomb according to scripture if we read scripture honestly and let the scripture speak for itself another word translated hell from the Greek is Tartaro. And we read about that over in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Here it says: If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now The word hell here is translated from the Greek is Tartaro. And notice what it is saying here. It says that the angels who sinned were cast down to hell. Tartaro. And delivered into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. The word Tartaro if you look it up in a lexicon, means a place of incarceration. Incarceration means like a jail or a prison, a place of restraint. And what the Bible tells us is that when Satan rebelled against God, that Satan and the demons were cast out of heaven to the earth. And that's where they were restrained that's where they were imprisoned was on the earth itself the bible tells us that even now satan is the god of this world and he is the prince of the power of the air and that he roams about over the face of the earth seeking ways to deceive and mislead people and so the prison to which satan and the demons were confined was the earth And over in Isaiah 14, it tells us about this. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Lucifer was the name of Satan before he rebelled. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Notice he was cut down to the ground. He was cast out of heaven to the ground, to the earth. And in Ezekiel 28, verse 17, Ezekiel 28, verse 17, your heart, speaking again of the one who is the arch rebel, Satan, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So Satan was cast out of heaven, and where was he cast to? He was cast to Tartaro, or a prison, a place of restraint, which was in fact the earth. And when Adam and Eve were created later by God, Satan was right there on the earth ready to tempt them. Notice what Jesus said over in Luke chapter 10 and verse... 18, Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus said, well, let's go back to verse 17 to get the context. It says, the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This was when he was cast out of heaven to the earth. Over in Revelation chapter 12, it also mentions this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. Revelation 12, verse 4, it is speaking of this dragon as Satan is depicted here. And in verse 4, it says, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now, sometimes a star is used as a metaphorical expression referring to an angel an angelic being and that is what it is referring to in this case a third of the stars of heaven the angelic beings who dwelt in heaven and they were thrown to the earth with satan when he sinned it says the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born and then in verse Seven, it goes on to say, this is speaking of a later time, it says, War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. And the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now notice where it was that he was cast out too, along with his angels, the demons. It was to the earth. So the word hell here in 2 Peter 2, verse 4, where it's talking about the angels were imprisoned, simply means the earth. They were confined to the earth and were not allowed to dwell in heaven with God as they had before. Now the Bible indicates that On occasion, Satan has been allowed to go up to heaven for brief periods, but he's no longer dwelling there permanently. The Bible tells us elsewhere that eventually the demons, along with Satan, will be cast into the lake of fire and then into outer darkness, as the Bible puts it. Another word translated hell in the New Testament is Gehenna which means the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. That's what the term comes from. It's a a Hebrew meaning a Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. And this valley, the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom, was originally a deep, narrow glen to the south of Jerusalem, where the Israelites had, after they began to apostatize, following David's rule, they began to sacrifice their children to Molech in this valley called Gehenna, the valley of the sons of Hinnom. Notice in 2 Chronicles 28, we read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. 2 Chronicles 28 and verse 3. This is speaking of one of the kings of Judah, King Ahaz, And it says in verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 28, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So they were using this place, this valley as a place of worship for their idol gods and burning their children in the fire to these false gods. In chapter 33 of 2 Chronicles, in verse 6, chapter 33, verse 6, it says of another king of Judah, Manasseh, he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Later on, this place where these false gods were worshipped and children were sacrificed to them was defiled by the righteous king Josiah in such a way as to render it unsuitable or unusable as a place of worship any longer. This is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 23. 2 Kings 23 and verse 10 2 Kings 23 and verse 10, it says that Josiah defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. So basically he defiled this place in a way that would make it unusable any longer as a place of worship of these false gods that Judah had come to worship. It was turned into a garbage dump. It was turned into the city dump. And it is described in Jewish writings as a place near Jerusalem, and I'm quoting from here from Gil's expositor, a commentary, and it says of this place, it says, It was a valley whose fire was never quenched, and in which they burned the bones of anything that was unclean and dead carcasses and other pollutions. So it became the dump where garbage and trash was cast and burned and the fires there burned perpetually. They burned all the time, burning up this garbage which was continually being placed into this dump. And among the Items that were placed there were the bodies or the carcasses of dead animals. And also, as other sources point out, the bodies of criminals were sometimes cast into Gehenna as well. And so Gehenna came to be representative of a place where things were burned up. a You might say a lake of fire a perpetual fire which into which was cast refuse to be burned up. And so Gehenna came to be used as a symbol of the lake of fire in which, according to Scripture, the wicked will be burned up when they suffer the second death. They will be cast into a fire, which is like the fire of Gehenna, to be burned up at the time of Christ's coming his second coming the city which is the seed of the great harlot we're told in Revelation the great harlot system, the false system of religion which has deceived all nations will be destroyed and the destruction of that system is described in Revelation 18 notice what it tells us there Revelation 18, in Revelation 18, verse 2, it says, He cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. So the city referred to here as Babylon the great is going to fall, And that city, where that city is, is going to become a dwelling place for demons, it says, and for every foul spirit, as well as for a place where there will be unclean birds or birds of carrion. Now, where do you find birds that feed on carrion, such as vultures and eagles? Where do those... Birds tend to congregate. Well, they congregate where there is something to eat. Perhaps you've been out in the country or someplace where you've seen vultures circling over the corpse of something that has died. And the reason they're there is because that's what they feed on. So this is speaking of this place where this city is, is becoming a place where Satan and the demons will be caged and also where will be found birds of carrion, carrion-eating birds, birds that eat dead flesh. In chapter 13 of Isaiah, it also writes about the destruction of that Babylonian system and notice what it says here in Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 19. Chapter 13 of Isaiah and verse 19, it says, Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, do you remember what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire. And fire and brimstone and volcanic eruptions is what destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says that this Babylon will be destroyed in the same way by fire and brimstone. We're told in Revelation that a massive earthquake will occur in the vicinity of that city and split it into three parts. Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16 and verse 18. There were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake, it says. Such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city, this is speaking of the same city, the great Babylon, the the seat of the great system of false religion the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell this is a massive earthquake that will affect this city and other cities and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath then every island fled away and the mountains were not found and great hail From heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. According to the historian Gibbon, who wrote the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, Gibbon wrote that early Christians believed that Rome would be eventually burned in a vast lake of fire and brimstone. And they regarded Rome as the city referred to in the Bible symbolically as the Great Babylon. They believed that it would be burned in a vast lake of fire and brimstone. Now, it's interesting that in Revelation 18, verse 8, it says, Of this Great Babylon, it says, Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine and she shall be utterly burned with fire for strong is lord god who judges her rome is surrounded by volcanic mountains and underlain by beds of sulfur another word for sulfur is brimstone because sulfur sulfuric rock burns readily when it is lit on fire And the soil of Rome consists of volcanic rock from former volcanic eruptions in the area. According to a document called Townsend's Tour Tour in Italy, the land from Rome to Naples is described as follows. The entire country and district is volcanic, is saturated with beds of sulfur and the substrata of destruction it seems as certainly prepared for the flames. So what the Bible indicates from the scriptures we've read is that this area is going to be hit by a massive earthquake and will collapse into a massive lake of burning sulfur and become literally a lake of fire. And according to Revelation 19 verse 3, it says, her smoke rises up forever and ever, or as it could be translated, into the ages and the ages. In other words, this fire is going to be burning for a long time, for an age, for ages perhaps. And into this lake of fire, we're told, will be cast the beast's and the false prophet. Revelation 19, verse 20. Revelation 19, verse 20, it says, The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, burning with sulfur. So the lake of fire which is referred to by the term Gehenna some places in Scripture, is this fire that will be burning as a consequence of this massive earthquake and destruction of the great city. And this is where the beast and the false prophet will be cast. According to Jesus, that fire will have also been prepared for the devil and his angels. We already read that Babylon will become cage for Satan and the demons. And notice in Revelation 19, verse 20, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Matthew 25, verse 41. Jesus said, He will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now the word everlasting could be translated or understood as age-lasting. We've already seen that that fire will last for an age or ages. It doesn't necessarily mean forever and ever and ever or eternity. It can mean that in some contexts, but it can also mean lasting for a period of time, an age. And it says that this fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels, and it is a fire into which the beast and the false prophet will be cast, and it is also spoken of as the fire into which the wicked will ultimately be cast to be burned up and destroyed as their punishment for refusing to repent. In chapter 20 of Revelation... It says, verse 1, chapter 20 in Revelation, verse 1, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and not really a bottomless pit. It doesn't mean that. It simply means a pit. With a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And He cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So Satan is going to be shut up in this place for a thousand years. Now notice again that Jesus said that that was a, that place of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. And again, back in Revelation 18 and verse 2, two it says of this city which will fall and become a pit of burning sulfur that it will be a dwelling place for demons and a prison for every foul spirit. So putting these scriptures together, we see that Satan is going to be restrained in this place of punishment which will be a, a lake of fire burning with fire and brimstone. And he and the demons will be confined there for a thousand years throughout the millennium. This lake of fire does not exist now. And it will not exist until the time of Christ's second coming. Because that's when these things will occur that will result in the creation of this lake of fire. It's not even in existence now. And certainly it's not a place where people's souls go to when they die. The concept of hell that is commonly believed among many who claim to be Christians is pure imagination. It is not biblical, it does not exist. The Bible tells us very clearly when and where the lake of fire that will be the place of punishment ultimately for the incorrigibly wicked, when and where it will come into existence and how it will be used. When people die, they are dead. They're not still alive, and they do not have immortal souls, which are sent either to heaven or to hell, as we've seen through the scriptures that we've read today. Now, there's a lot more to be discussed about this. And we will be discussing this in more detail in later sermons. But these are the facts according to Scripture concerning hell. Now after the millennium and the great white throne judgment, we see that death and hell itself, that is Hades or the grave, will themselves be cast into the lake of fire. And the whole earth will be purged by fire to make way for a new heaven or new heavens and a new earth. This is referred to in Second Peter chapter three, in Second Peter chapter three and verse 10. It says, "The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now at this ultimate conflagration, which will occur after the millennium, actually, the earth, it says, will be burned up. It says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of that day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In Revelation 20 and verse 14, Revelation 20 and verse 14, it says, after the great white throne judgment, which will occur after the millennium, it says, death in Hades, or death in hell, as it is in the, in the King James, and remember, when we're talking about Hades here, we're talking about the grave. It's talking about death and the, even the possibility of dying for human beings. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire as their final punishment. They will be cast into this lake of fire to be burned up. Now remember that in the context here, if you read the context of this, it's talking about a judgment which will occur in which people will have been resurrected and will be judged according to their works and on the basis of the scriptures. And then after that, those whose names at that time are not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire to be burned up. They will not suffer agony forever and ever. But they will be simply burned up and they will exist no more except as ashes under the feet of the righteous. And This is mentioned in Malachi chapter 4. Malachi 4 and verse 1. It says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. I don't know if you've ever seen what happens on farms quite often when the harvest has been brought in. What's left in the field is stubble, and some farmers at least will set that stubble on fire and burn it up, and this compares those who do wickedly to stubble the stubble that is burned up and it is consumed by the fire and it says the day which is coming shall burn them up. It doesn't say that they will be burned forever and ever but not be burned up. It says they will be burned up, just like stubble is burned up when it's uh, when it is set on fire says the lord of hosts that will leave them neither root nor branch in other words they will be completely burned up utterly consumed but to you who fear my name the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves you shall trample the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, is the Lord of hosts. So the wicked will be burned up, completely consumed root and branch, and they will be turned into ashes. That is what the Bible tells us is the ultimate punishment of human beings who are incorrigibly wicked. Now, every human... We don't have time to discuss this in detail now, but every human will have a chance to repent, to know God, and to receive the gift of eternal life before all is said and done. But there will be some who will, even having every possible opportunity to repent, will reject what God has to offer. And those who ultimately reject God and persist in disobedience and rebellion toward God will simply be burned up. They will be burned up in a lake of fire and they will be consumed. But they will not be burning forever and ever and ever being tortured but never being burned up in some imaginary hell. That place of eternal punishment vast hors of unsaved humanity is a fiction. God is not going to send people, including innocent babies, infants, to such a place. It does not exist. God is far more merciful than the blasphemous image of him portrayed by the paganized hell tradition of popular Christianity.